Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune. I'll be your host today on Game Changers. I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guest, Doug Reitmeyer. Doug is the creator of Mastering Federal Contracting Workshop and CEO of Government Construction Experts. Doug, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your company. Well, I've been in the federal construction business for over 40 years now. The last five years, strictly as a uh, coach, mentor, and trainer to people in the construction business, uh, both um, that are in the uh, non-federal field and in the federal construction business. Uh, the system that we set up here in the last five years was all geared toward uh, giving people the opportunity to go after federal contracts that most contractors are not aware of how, how to get the projects or how to perform them on a national level. And that was my career over 35 years. So I've completed over a thousand federal contracts in all 50 states with all the federal agencies generating over a billion dollars in revenues over $300 million in profits. And so I don't think you'll find anybody that really has the, the, the range, background, and knowledge that I have in the field. Yeah, I, you know, I've been following you guys for a couple of years now, and I connected with Sean, who's, who's also here with us today, your son. And uh, when I was just looking through the stuff you guys have done, it's just mind-boggling to think of even working on a 1,000-plus contracts and, and all that type of stuff. So it's, it's perfect for our topic today, succeeding in the federal construction market, which kicks me right into gear with the first question of a lot of people focus on state and local stuff. Why was your career focused on the federal contracts versus the state and local stuff? Well, uh, I, early in my career, I did uh, began with residential work, uh, servicing main, mainly HVAC um, work that I was familiar with from having a background in electronics, uh, college education and physics, 
and the, uh, my training in the United States Army, which was nuclear weapons electronics. When I got out of the service, I needed to have an income, uh, really wanted to have my own business, uh, started out working with mobile homes and small houses, uh, mostly GIs in the Fort Hood area. I got out of the service at Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, but in that process of growing the business, I had a, uh, a big, um, let's say, awakening when a mobile home dealer filed bankruptcy and he owed me $20,000. Of course, in the meantime, I had borrowed the money to pay for the air conditioners. Now I didn't have the money to pay the bank back. Mm. And I went to the banker. I told him what had happened. I had been... Uh, doing a few federal contracts just because some of the guys I knew in the, the service were in procurement and they had said, why don't you come out and do some of these projects for us? And I told the banker, I said, I'm only going to do federal contracts. And he looked at me kind of perplexed, well, wh why is that? And I said, well, they're, they are the only people I know that when they run out of money, they just print more and they do it legally. Yeah. And, and I never looked back. Uh, once I I got into and I started figuring out the game. Uh, not to say I didn't have my ups and downs. I'm probably the only guy in, uh, that you'll talk with that's been on federal contracts, uh, had two of them default terminated, had both of them rescinded. Um, yeah, it, because the, occasionally the government makes mistakes. Yeah. And uh, so knowing you know, how to present yourself uh, to the higher authorities, the agency courts, they have uh, the Board of Contract Appeals that a contractor can go represent himself in that overrides the contracting officer's decisions. Uh, and I've used that a number of times over my career. Um, but the main focus was, you know, where can I go do business and not have to worry about getting paid? And, you know, when, when I started training contractors. One of the questions I ask when they come into the room is, have you always been paid 100% of what people agreed to pay you or that you've signed contracts before? And guess what? 100% of them tell me no. <laughs> and uh, it's one of the things I can say is in the federal construction arena, um, outside of one particular incident, uh, I was always paid 100% of what I was owed. Well, that, that's probably a great reason to focus on the federal market, which I'd never really thought about that. But uh, making sure you get paid in order to stay in business is a, is a pretty big deal. So I, I think there's a lot of myths when it comes to the federal market where I think it'll shy a lot of people away. A lot of con, you know construction guys will say, well, you know, I don't know what licenses I need. I don't know what insurance I need. I don't know what's different from the state to the Fed. I mean, can you shed some light on what licenses these guys need if they're going to work in the federal construction space? Well, certainly you need to have a license, a business license, and you should be licensed in the trade of which you're going after any particular um, type of work. So early in my career, uh, I was a union contractor. I had gotten a plumbing license a master electrician's license and a master mechanic's license so I could handle what we call the MEP, the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing uh, buildings, which was pretty much about 40% of what goes on in a, a modern-day commercial or industrial uh, complex. Once I really got into it and was a subcontractor on some projects, I came to the realization that 
um, I wasn't really being treated fairly and that I knew a lot more about the construction side of what was going on than most general contractors and I decided to become a general contractor myself uh, and in the early days I wore a tool belt and went out and would do the MEP work myself and subcontract out the rest. As the business grew uh, we had one company over a nine-year period we went from 200,000 our first year to nearly a hundred million dollars a year over nine years and looking back at the numbers we literally doubled in revenues and profits year after year for nine years in a row until President Reagan uh, changed the tax laws the alternative minimum tax got kicked in we had to write a multi-million dollar check to the IRS and we decided that that wasn't uh, so much fun running that large of a business if you couldn't uh, hold on to the cash the way we had been doing. The law got changed from uh, this particular part of the code got changed from where you could roll over your cash and and only report income on completed contracts up to $100 million a year that got reduced to $10 million a year. So forever after that we ran multiple companies that for the most part we're doing under ten million dollars a year so that's just a little bit of history but uh, regarding the licenses I've only been licensed uh, in the state of Texas early on uh, once I got into federal contracting I found that just my experience and the fact that I had been licensed was all I needed to work in 49 of the 50 states uh, there's one state that's the only state that requires a state license to do federal projects and that's West Virginia hmm. and uh, one of the things people often find uh, interesting is that I've for the last 35 years I've only been licensed in one state West Virginia why is that because there's less competition <laughs> in the federal market that's great that's great I love so you know you mentioned something very interesting there about you know doubling revenue you know year over year and going from 200,000 to you know 100 million Without giving away stuff that's in your workshop, what is the secret to going from two hundred thousand to a million to ten to fifty to to a hundred? Like, what are some of the keys to even finding that amount of work? Well, uh, here's the, here's the real key. When people go into business, they're looking for customers or clients, and so they limit themselves typically to their local area. I certainly did when I got out of the service. I was looking for people that I could drive over and fix something or uh, build a house or uh, renovate a building in my local area. I could bring a team out there. Well, once I really got into and understood the federal market, uh, and you can Google this number, but literally the federal government owns and maintains more than 900,000 buildings. So if you're replacing a roof on a building an average of every 20 years, say, or you're replacing the air conditioning in a building every 20 years, then that's 45,000 air conditioner replacements a year. It's 45,000 roof replacements a year. And so it, it, for any roofer or any HVAC person, uh, that's unlimited opportunity and the government has a hard time finding people willing to do that. Uh, consequently, uh, one of the things that we actually show in the workshop is how we use our particular proprietary software to zero in on and, and, and tell when you're going to be the only bidder on a project. For example, mm. uh, in less than three seconds, uh, 
per line item or opportunity that's being uh, put out there for contractors to look at on a daily basis, and that can run up to 100 a day. In less than three seconds, I can tell if, if I may be the only bidder. How, would, how do I do that? Well, uh, a couple of ways. One is if you go to FedBizOps, which most people looking for federal contract, go to fbo.gov, there's a search function there. But the search function by state, for example, shows where the um, project is being advertised. For example, one of the projects, I knew I'd be the only bidder. It was being advertised in Colorado. It was an HVAC project that was actually taking place in Montana. So if you're an HVAC contractor in Colorado and you're searched FedBizOps for air conditioning projects, uh, you up turns this one in Montana. Now, in Colorado, I suspect that you have to have an HVAC license to work there. And so if you're an HVAC contractor, two things happen. One is you look at it and you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, this project's in Montana. That's a long ways away. And second of all, not only is it a long ways away, but I'm not licensed in Montana to do HVAC work. Mm -hmm. So he's skipping that one. Uh, on the other hand, because I'm a national federal contractor and an HVAC expert, I zero in on it, though I think I'm going to be the only bidder on it, and I was. So consequently, if you're the only bidder, your profit margins can be substantially greater, um, and it's the profit margins that enable you to grow your business as fast as you want to grow it. Uh, if you're operating on 2 or 3 uh, percent or 5 percent or 10 percent, that's really hard to do. If you're making 30, 40, and 50 percent profit, that cash will carry you through and it will be a huge incentive for you to look for more opportunities. And when you look at uh, our proprietary software, which is BidTracker, it's uh, spelled B-I-D-T-R-A-K-K-E-R. There's a website, BidTracker.com. And again, that's B-I-D-T-R-A-K-K-E-R.com. Uh, that enables us to see what the government's doing on a daily basis up to 45 days in advance of when I actually have to turn in a bid. And so I, not only do I look at the landscape ahead of me and I teach people that come through our workshop, look, here's how I got literally millions of dollars in federal contracts. I uh, use different methods uh, to, be, to believe I may be the only bidder, and oftentimes I am. Um, but that creates another dilemma because if you're the only bidder on a project and your bid is more than 15% uh, over the government estimate, they have a federal acquisition regulation that prevents them to, from automatically awarding it. So over a period of time, I developed a tool to handle that problem called the $100,000 letter. I think you, I see the smirk yeah. on your face there. I think you may have read a little bit about that. There's actually a website, 100kletter.com, spelled out. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting business. It's uh, foreign to most people. Um, but just like in, in the world of uh, uh, high-achieving athletes, what makes them so successful? Well, it's really two things. I mean, outside of their innate talent, uh, it's the, um, the fact that they get support, that if they have a problem, there's technology, there's people there to support them and encourage them to be the best they can be. 
And then they get a great coach. And the coach, uh, you look at any great uh, athlete, you know, and, and they'll tell you, the athletes themselves will tell you, I would not have been the success I am but for my coach or my coaches that I've had on the team. So um, th that's, that's where we play that role at, at uh, being semi-retired now and approaching retirement in a few more years. Uh, that's, that's really where I'm giving back to the community for those that really want to find success in the construction market and are looking for new opportunities with higher margins. That's some of the secrets that basically enabled us to do it and we enable other people to do it. In fact, I just got a text message last night from one of the guys that had been through my workshop saying he just got a six and a half million dollar IDIQ project he's thrilled about. Yeah. So, I mean, those are, those are great tips because, you know, the moment you said, you know, you're looking, you have a system to see if you're one of the only bidders. That's a big deal because I think so many times people are focused on how do I be competitive against 59 other people? And when you're competing against 59 other people, I mean, your odds just just plummet, especially if, you know, you have not been tracking the opportunity. We're always talking about that. You know, how long have you been tracking this opportunity? What do you know about the client? And you really have to know all that stuff when there's 20, 30, 40, 50 other people. I mean, I've been on FedBizOps and seen 109, I think was the highest interested parties in something you know that that are thinking about putting a bid so so i love the the bid tracker uh concept that you have there and we'll put that on the website with this as well another thing you mentioned during that was profit margins i think one of the things that i when i talk to construction folks is they complain all day about the profit margins and i don't know if it's going to be worth it for me to bid on this you know um and then the new guys or saying, hey, you know, my buddies that are doing this tell me that it may be a 3 to 5%, maybe a 10%. I just don't know if it's worth the hassle. What have some of the profit margins you've seen, and you've kind of hinted it at how you get those by being maybe one of the only bidders. What, what are some thoughts on profit margins for the average federal contractor? Well, the guys in our class uh, are making, I, I, would, I would venture to say, an average of 20 to 30%. Um, some of them that I've recently been involved with where uh, I've taught these guys how to go out and get contracts and they've gotten so good at getting them they call me up and say I have too many contracts how am I going to get them all can you help me get them done a couple of recent ones I did with Bill Westell was up in Milan Michigan he was the only bidder uh, but his bid was way too high and, and so Bill called me up when they wanted to negotiate and said you know can you help me negotiate it um, I went in, had a conversation with Robert Armstrong, the, the gentleman who ran the facility up there, or at least that part of it, the procurement uh, official, and we negotiated a contract for $110,000 to do three underground steam leak repairs. Uh, by the time we got the project all finished, and I understand there was a lot of risk there, it's a $110,000 contract, but we completed it for a little less than $60,000. So it was done in 14 days. Uh, Bill and I ended up splitting the $50,000 profit. He, he couldn't believe that, that I could do it for that because he had originally uh, bid the project based on what somebody had told him it, it, they thought it would cost. So he had bid it at 309000 So he was a little bit shocked when I 
uh, suggested that he should go ahead and take the contract at the amount I negotiated, which was 110. But I had a lot of experience at doing that particular type of underground uh, steam leak repairs. It was something called permapipe, and I had done a, a number of permapipe systems. Uh, another project last year we did uh, uh, Carlos Bazbaz, who used to be a, a home builder in Houston, was starving in 2011, called me up and asked if he could come to the workshop. Uh, interesting thing about Carlos, uh, it was a, it's basically a $10,000 ticket for two people to attend. It's 100%, no questions asked, money back, guaranteed, be the best business training ever created, or simply ask for a refund. At the end of the workshop, they, we fill out a form and say, you know, what do you think it was worth? Most people put on there anywhere from five to a hundred, even as much as a million dollars or infinity. Uh, Carlos was one of the very few people, I think the only person that wrote down one to one. He felt it was worth the 10,000 he invested. But then a few months later, I got an email from him saying, I made a big mistake. I think it was worth at least a million dollars because where else can you go and make the kind of money I'm making? At that point, he had already had $300,000 in contracts. There was about $50,000 in profit in them. And this was a lot better than he'd ever done building houses. And the projects were getting done a lot faster. And by the way, Carlos Bazbaz is the one that texted me last night with this, that he had just gotten a $6.5 million IDIQ contract for facilities maintenance in Region 3. It was just a text message, so that's, that's all I can tell you about it. I don't really know what the parameters are yet. But uh, last year when he got too many contracts and asked me to come in and help him do some of them, one of them was uh, running a de-aerator, a uh, six-inch de-aerator line uh, in, for the steam system at Lewisburg Prison in Pennsylvania. Uh, he was in the contract at 88600 I know there was another bidder because uh, he was the low bidder on that project. But he called me up and said, look, you've done a lot of these steam-type uh, projects. Can you just get this done for, for me because i got too many projects? Um, I was able to successfully negotiate with the number one contractor in the area that does that type of work, Silver Tip Construction, Cheryl Dugan and uh, her right-hand man, uh, Lewis. And they took a subcontract agreement for $40,000, did the whole project in less than a week, and Carlos and I split $44,000 profit on the job. Now, keep in mind that one of the things I teach in the workshop is the most valuable thing you have is your time. And what you're looking for is not so much how much money you can make on the project, but how much time it's going to take you to make that money. In this particular case, Carlos probably had a total of two hours, and he got paid you know, $24,000 uh, for two hours of his time. That's $12,000 an hour. Um, it, it took a little bit longer that, for me because I was the one that really made it all happen, but it made a lot of sense for me to sit down and show him, look, I'm going to make us a lot of money on this. It's going to happen fairly fast. Um, it's going to take probably a couple of days of my time to get all the submittals, get the right people, get them all set up, get in and get out. And so I put the whole package together. But, uh, you know, that, that's really the key is where can you go and not be worrying about 5 or 10% profit margins because there's nothing wrong with a 10% profit margin on a $10,000 job that pays you $1,000 if you only have to invest an hour of your time. On the other hand, if it takes up a whole week of your time, you're pretty much making $25 an hour wages, right? right? 
right. and, and who guarantees you that you're ever going to get another contract. So what happens is the contractor spends a lot of time trying to get another contract and all the time he's trying to get a contract, he's not making any money. Right. Yeah, and and I think it's some really good points there. You know, the the dollar values of the contracts that you threw out were not what I expected. You know, you're throwing out eighty eight thousand and hundred and ten thousand dollar projects and things like that, where there's you know fifty percent profit on it. And you've got a lot of guys out there in this space focused on, well, I need a million dollar contractor, a three million dollar contractor, whatever it is. I'm I'm banking on maybe. 5% profit, but they're also not thinking about all the time. They're not thinking that that $3 million project may take them two years to do it. And, and, you know, you know, 10, 20 hours a week of their time managing it, where you're talking about a quick win like that, that's put way more money, you know, per dollar per hour in their pocket. Now they can move on to the other, the other project there. So I really like that. And, but you, you bring up an interesting point there. Again, I, I, part of the reason I wanted you on here is to dispel a lot of the myths that I think contractors have because, you know, when you go to get in a business like this, you talk to your friends, you talk to the P-TAC, you talk to this guy, you talk to that guy, you talk to somebody's neighbor's best friend's dog walker who thought about going in the business but didn't, who has a bunch of garbage to tell you about, well, you, you have to do 100% of the work. You know, that's just the way it is. If you're going to go get that, well, you better be licensed in that state and you better be ready to do 100% of the work. And and none of those cases were true in the stuff you just shared. You know, you weren't necessarily licensed in that state. You were licensed in your own state and you didn't do 100% of the work. So part of that, I'm thinking, plays in with the rule book that you're playing in. And, and you mentioned this and kind of we have a pre-interview that, that you guys submitted to us that there's only one rule book for all 50 states. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? And I don't know, maybe while you're doing that, it's, you're just dropping wisdom all, all day on me here. So maybe maybe you got some more wisdom about the rule book and any other myths that you think contractors have. Well, there's. Um, I wrote an article about this in 2010. Uh, the title of the article was Show Me the Money. It was published in Commercial Construction Magazine. And just a little bit about how that even happened was I picked up, I get the newspaper, our local Austin American statesman, I'm here in Austin, Texas, and there on the front page was this article um, by a young lady at the newspaper about the dismal world of construction contracting in 2010. The contractors were filing bankruptcy all over the country, going out of business. I actually had a contractor here locally call me up. The conversation was this. I'm a $200 million a year contractor that couldn't get $30 million worth of work last year. Um, and in her story, she, she quoted some of the local contractors here saying that there used to be three and four contractors bidding these projects. Now we have 30 and 40. They're coming from all over the country because Austin's kind of a boom town and we, we don't, we're not suffering the same way these other areas are, but now we're being forced to suffer because of this influx of contractors coming into our area because they can't get work in other areas. Um, so when I read that uh, article, I wrote her an email and I said, why aren't you telling people about the federal market? Uh, Barack Obama had just 
gotten Congress to approve the American Recovery Reinvestment Act, called ARRA, of the $787 billion authorized by Congress to fund that act, $137 billion was slated for construction. Yet, over the following three years, $47 billion of it never got spent. Why? Because there wasn't enough contractor infrastructure to absorb that that knew how to go out and get federal contracts. So during the time of 2010, 2011, 2012, there were contractors making 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70 percent profit margins on a lot of that work um, if you knew how to get it, right? Uh, one of the projects, I got a phone call from Tony down in New Orleans saying, uh, you know, why didn't you bid the contract yesterday to recoat the deck of a Coast Guard cutter down in Pensacola? Now, how did he even know who I was? Well, if you go to FedBizOps, something you mentioned uh, earlier there was there's a tab called Interested Vendors List. And while he's talking to me, telling me what the project was, I looked at the Interested Vendors List. And interestingly, there were four uh, people on there. There was a claims consultant. There was a tripartite escrow agreement. There was United Rentals. And there was Doug Reitmeyer, federal construction expert. Now, if you're a contracting officer trying to get this project completed for the captain of the Coast Guard cutter and nobody bids the job, where's the first place you look? Well, who was interested and why didn't they bid? Now, is he going to call the claims consultant? That guy's not going to help him paint the deck no. or the tripartite escrow agreement or the United Rentals. But they called the federal construction expert. And so we talked a little bit about it, the urgency of it, because it had to be, you know, those Coast Guard cutters are on schedules. They're coming in, they're getting their maintenance performed, they're, they're going right back out to intercept drugs and protect our coastlines. Uh, and they do that very efficiently. But the boats have to be maintained. And so it didn't take long for us to negotiate something that made sense to have a, a local contractor um, take care of the project with a 50% profit margin. And they were able to put go right back out to sea when they needed to go out to sea. But, you know, being in a position where you have those opportunities and you know how to get them, you know the scripts that you need, you know where the pain points are. And, you know, that's just fundamental sales training applied to the federal market. And that's really what we do better than anybody in the world. How do you deal with, with the FAR on that? I, I think a lot of people understand, hey, their their rules, their regulations. Um, does that change from state to state? I mean, I mean you're... you're Based on what I, I'm hearing from you, the FAR is the FAR, and that's your that's your rule book, and that's all you got to know. If you, the more you learn that, the more you'll understand the rules. I mean, is that is that right? Yes, you do have one set of rules. It works in all 50 states. It works with all the agencies, except some of them have what they call sub-FAR parts or modifications of the Federal Acquisition Regulations. A number of years ago, the FAA was uh, petitioned Congress and said, look, we're responsible for the safety of the public and aircraft, and we, we, we would like to have um, our own system of the federal acquisitions related to things that are of extreme importance safety-wise, and Congress approved that. Uh, the, the post office, which is a quasi-government corporation, um, has their unique uh, features, but the, the concepts uh, in their procurement system are based on the federal acquisition regulations. But the same thing applies to the post office. If you work on a post office in Texas and you're licensed in Texas, you can work on any post office in any other place as long as it's not 
a post office that's in a mall where they, the Postal Service is renting a building in a city mm-hmm. uh, that's privately owned. But for the most sense. part, most post offices are federally owned property, and you're not dealing with the local building authority. You're not dealing with the local inspector, and the government has their own regulations that you operate under, and you can do that, like I say, in all 50 states with the single exception uh, that you have to be licensed in the state of West Virginia to perform federal contracts in West Virginia. So you've mentioned a lot of projects, and and you've talked about FBO a little bit. Is that the number one place you look for opportunities in the federal construction market, or is there any other uh, quick websites or things that you look for as well? Well, there there are other websites, but you know, we I invested over a quarter million dollars back in the late '90s and, and early 2000s um, in Bid Tracker to electronically tie into all the different methods the government was using okay. to advertise, and then the software. It, what it does is it reads what the government's doing and then puts it into a special format that enables me to look at that terrain up to 45 days ahead of time and scan the important items, that, which the, the single most important item to me is, does it make sense for me, are there going to be few bidders or no bidders, right? Uh, because nobody really wants a lot of competition, preferably uh, you'd like to have no competition, right? right. Because that's where your margins are. And, and the bottom line is this, if you're making a lot of money on a construction contract, are you motivated to do a better job and to, and to deliver a better result? Absolutely. And the bottom line is yes. That if you're making a lot of money, typically you're going to reinvest that money in getting more. You're not going to go buy gold or silver bars and stick them under your bed or bury them in the backyard. You're going to go, hey, I'm making a lot of money. How can I put this back into where I'm making the money? Mm-hmm. Right? And so... Uh, those are the fundamentals that really enable a contractor who already knows the construction side. Now, I don't teach construction. What I teach is somebody that already understands the construction business and they're wired to understand how things have to come together at exactly the right time so that the project can get built in, you know, without complication. Uh, they can schedule things right. And we say, look, take that knowledge and experience you have and apply it in a field that needs you because less than 3% of the contractors in the United States have taken the time to go get registered and qualified to get federal contracts. So on the surface, you're going in with 97% less competition. And then when you understand that, okay, there are those 25,000 or so that are registered and qualified, probably less than half of them are actually bidding actively. But then there's a number of those that are looking at the easy jobs. Like you said, you, you, there are some that you may look at, and there's 107 bidders. Now, typically, or interested vendors, let's say. But typically, though, if you were to analyze the 100 interested vendors, those are not all contractors bidding the job. There's subcontractors, there's suppliers, there's advertisers. And you can boil it down. You may end up looking at them. I mean, I've looked at some, and within seconds, even though there might have been, one I can think of right now was up at the Abraham Lincoln National Historic Site. There was like 40 interested vendors, and within just a few seconds of opening up the specs, I realized I would be the only bidder. 
-hmm. Now, you know, I'm not going to go into the details how I knew I'd be the only bidder, but, um, you know, because I knew I was going to be the only bidder, there was the opportunity to have a higher profit margin and deliver a superior result. Right. Oh, that's that, that's awesome. So I, I know we're, we're starting to wind down here and I just I have two more questions that I want to ask you. Uh, the first one is what, in your opinion, and maybe it's just one thing or two things. What is the biggest mistakes that you see people that are just entering this market in this industry? What are the biggest mistakes you see from people? One is that they limit themselves to their own backyard. You know, but most contractors think, like I originally thought, hey, I need to be bidding work that I can just drive out to in 15, 30 minutes, you know, around my circle, right? So I was limiting myself to what I felt comfortable with at the time. So they, you know, we build these walls up in our head, this belief system. Uh, an excellent example was Frey Radford came down from, um, Oklahoma. This guy had actually called me on Super Bowl Sunday a couple hours before the game thinking that he was going to get an answering machine, but I had my phone on call forward to my cell phone, and so he kind of sputtered when I answered the phone. And uh, But he started telling me how dismal things were in Oklahoma City. Uh, this was in early 2011, uh, but he had seen some of our videos. He knew a little bit about us. He had read the article, showed me the money, and he said, I'm thinking about getting out of the business. Do you think you can help me? Uh, a year later, after he went to the workshop, he called me up and, and he said, uh, I said, well, how are things going? He says, incredibly well. And I said, well, um, okay, how well? He said, well, we hit the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in America. Now, keep in mind, Super Bowl Sunday was in February, so he came to the March workshop. So three months were already gone of the previous year. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy went from, I need to get out of this business to hitting the Inc. 500, I think it was number 15 in the construction category, mm. nationwide, of the fastest growing companies in America, and he did it in nine months. And I said, well, what do you attribute it to? And he said, you telling me that it was okay to bid work outside of, he said, you know, I, I had this mentality that I, I can't do work beyond an hour away. I need to be able to, you know, if it takes me an hour to get there, an hour to get back, he said, as soon as I got back, there was a job bidding that was two hours away. And he said, I made $200,000 on it, and all of a sudden it opened up that I don't have to limit myself. Yeah. So when you said, you know, what, what are the mistakes? One is limiting beliefs that they can't do something. Um, and, and then the other mistake is that they believe that the competition is there. So they, so they underbid projects, so they bid them too tight, and they constantly struggle and they're looking for ways to cut corners um, and, and then probably the third mistake uh, most significant one is they don't get professional coaching uh, contractors have egos and they tend to think they know it all because they read the books and they took the classes and they got the tool belts and they got their truck all loaded with tools and okay I'm ready to go do business but business is far more complicated than that and they look at the work that they need to go do as opposed to the time it's going to take them to do the work and what's the return. And and that's where great coaching comes in. And mentors come in and say, look, let's let's re, uh, reframe our thought process. Let's break down some of the walls and look at the facts. Where are people really making money in the construction business? And if you look at the number one construction company in the world today, it has been traditionally 
you know, nine, time, nine years out of ten over the last 40 or 50 years, it's been Bechtel Corporation. And what's their number one business? Doing federal contracts for all the nations of the world. And you know, I don't know what the revenues were last year, but the last year I checked, it was well over $10 billion, right? Yeah, they're huge. They're killing it in this business, you know? Yes. You know, and so the, the final question I was going to ask you, you've really answered it in a lot of ways. I was going to say, you know, what are the one or two things you attribute most of your success to? And you've just, you've reiterated those points, you know, point number one being don't limit yourself to your backyard. Um, you know, make sure there's little or no competition, you know, and, and get, and get a coach, get a mentor, get somebody who can show you how to do this. And again, you know, and it sounds so simple. I want to go to the workshop and I'm not even in, in your industry. So maybe I should be, I don't know. It, it sounds, it, it sounds so easy the, the way you talk about it. And, and I know it's not, but it's uh, I really appreciate what you guys have put together. So this, this is all really, really good stuff. I don't know if, if you have any final thoughts, but if you have some, I'd love to hear some final thoughts for our listeners. I'll give you this final thought. What's the single most important thing we have as a human being? And, and Mike, you might want to jot this down so you'll have it. You can put it up a little three-by-five card. I don't know if you got a notepad there in front of you. Right here. But what's the most important number in the universe? And I'm going to give you what the most important number is for me and what I think it should be for everyone else. And that is 30,000. What is 30,000? It's the average number of days that we live from the time we're born to the time they put us in a box. That's the opportunity. You only have 30,000 days there that you're going to be on the, the planet. Now, if we start analyzing those 30,000 days, you find that about 9,000 of them get consumed with learning how to get a career. So if you graduate from college by the age of 25, you consumed about 9,000 of those 30,000 days. On the other end, if you look at most people, at some point they do retire because they realize that they really can't contribute at the level that they're accustomed to contributing. And that ends up to being kind of the final 4,000 days. So what are we left with in the middle? Our career, roughly 17,000 days, right? And, and so the, the focus is on the time that you have. If you look at my what I have left of the 17,000 uh, days, it's less than 1,700. So I've consumed 90% of my career. I'm down to the last less than 10%. And so the time is extremely important to me. If you look at that 17,000 days as a contractor, how many contractors are looking at that going, if I don't set up myself so that I have an income at the end of my 17,000 days. At the end of my career, I'm left with nothing but Social Security, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's not a lot. Even at, at age 70, I've looked at the numbers for me. It's less than $3,000 a month at age 70 that I would get from Social Security. Yet, uh, to survive on this planet, <laughs> to have a family, and have the, the lifestyle that I've enjoyed, it's substantially more than $3,000 a month to pay the bills, the utilities, the taxes, and so mm -hmm. forth, just living at a home here in Texas. And I, I don't live extravagantly, but I have a nice couple of nice cars and beautiful wife I've been married to for 40 years. And so that, if you're not uh, focused on creating over that 17,000 days that you have on setting yourself up to enjoy your retirement 
you're really doing yourself and your family and the world a disservice. So you have the opportunity to create a legacy and the way you do that is by being productive and the best way you can be productive is have somebody really focus with you, coach you, mentor you, show you, um, shorten the time that it takes to accelerate your success, right? Somebody who's already been through um, all the mishaps, made all the mistakes and, and can take you through the minefield and explain why there's things that you want to do and why there's things you shouldn't be doing. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's good stuff. And, uh, I'm sure I could spend uh, a couple of hours with you talking about this stuff, but I, I want to respect your time and in, in your 1700 days or so you got left. Um, I really, I appreciate you coming on. I want to have you back on in the near future and, uh, talk more about federal contracting. So, so thank you so much, Doug. Well, Mike, thanks for having, thank you for having uh, Sean and I. Uh, we appreciate what you're doing and spreading the word out there and helping people be more successful through what you're doing. So, so, so th for, Well, thank you guys. I really, really appreciate it. I also want to take a, a second here to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests. So today, Doug's uh, information will be up on the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where we'll have links to his website, his bio, uh, and especially that bid tracker. Uh, I, want, I want you guys to go check out Bid Tracker if you're in this space. It sounds awesome. Uh, last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how to find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.